not good enough. Has someone ever told you that phrase? Oprah Winfrey was actually fired by a TV producer in her early days for not being good enough for television. Walt Disney was once told by an editor that he had no imagination or any creative ideas. Steven Spielberg, the movie director, was rejected twice by the University of Southern California's Cinematic Arts School. Now, whilst it turned out all right for these celebrities, that feeling of not being good enough, I think, is a deep fear inside all of us. We feel it at school. What if I don't get that mark? What if I don't get into that course? We feel it in our hobbies and work. What if I'm not good enough to make the basketball team or get into the musical? And we also feel it in relationships. What if I'm good, not good enough for that friend or to have a boyfriend? What if I'm not enough? This is the start of my third year here as a youth pastor at Richmond. And I can tell you, when I first started at 19, this was a huge struggle for me. Kind of still is at different points. That, am I enough? Am I, am, I'm inadequate. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not talented enough to lead this ministry. And I don't think I'm alone in that feeling. I wonder if there's any part of you that feels like you're not good enough for God to use. Maybe there's a part of you that wonders, could God really use someone like you? Maybe there's better people he could pick on his team. And if you've never felt this, don't worry, there's also going to be lessons for you too. Because tonight we're going to meet our judge, Gideon, and Gideon felt like he was not enough. And we're in the book of Judges this term, and so we're going to quickly recap this cycle if you haven't been with us. Um, So in Judges chapter 6, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we learn that Israel rebels and Israel is captured. In verse 6, we learn that their enemy is the Midianites, and they're the worst enemies so far. And so they cry out to God, um, and God, Israel cries out, and God raises up a judge, Gideon. And so tonight we're going to go on a journey with Gideon. We're going to meet him, and along uh, his journey, God's going to strengthen him, and God's going to weaken him at different points. So first of all, from verses 11 to 16, we're going to see God strengthen Gideon to do God's work. So the enemy this time, the Midianites, they're the most oppressive and most terrifying enemy we've seen so far in the book of Judges. What Israel was doing is that they were growing their crops and they were living their lives. And then at the last minute, the Midianites would come in, take all their food away and eat it for themselves. So Israel was in severe poverty. This was happening for over seven years. And then we meet Gideon. Now, because the enemy had been coming in and snatching this food, Gideon was harvesting wheat, as they did back in those days. And he normally harvests wheat by kind of throwing it up into the air and letting it separate. But Gideon didn't want the enemy to notice what he was doing. So he was um, preparing the wheat in what's called a wine press, but he was kind of doing it in a cave, in a cleft, so no one would see um, the mess that he was making. And so Gideon's separating this wheat, and it tells us that the angel of the Lord, which is most likely God in physical form, sits down under a tree and is watching him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but the angel of the Lord speaks, and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But I want to know what Gideon's reaction was. Did he jump? Did he say, excuse me? What, What did you just say? Because the angel of the Lord says that he's a warrior. And at this point, he's a scaredy cat. He's hiding away. Next, Gideon says this really deep question that humanity has been asking for thousands of years. He says, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? 
He's saying, God, if you were truly with us, if you truly loved us, why are we suffering? Why are they taking all our food away? You did all this amazing stuff back in Egypt with all the plagues and everything that you did, and now we barely have food to eat. As we sit back and we read the whole story of Judges, we know that it's not that God abandoned the Israelites, it's that the Israelites abandoned God. We looked at that in week one. So God says to Gideon in verse 14, he says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Sometimes God's answer to the suffering of this world is to send his people out to fix it. Yes, this suffering was caused by Israel's own rebellion and their own sin, but that sin had led to oppression and slavery and poverty. So I wonder, could God's answer to some of the suffering in this world right now be you? I wonder if there's an issue of suffering or injustice that really breaks your heart. You know, is there something small you could do? Does your heart break for refugees or for the homeless or for the poverty, um, for, for people in human trafficking? What ways could you get involved in this? Could you fundraise? Could you raise awareness? Could you love people? Could you be the one that God sends out? Now, this is a really nice idea to start tonight off with, but I love the Bible because it keeps it real. Because do you think, after God told Gideon to go out and save Israel, he does it? No. Despite having been told by God directly what he should do, Gideon doesn't go. Now, we don't know how old he was, but he does seem to pull the classic teenage and young adult move. He comes up with a few excuses to get out of something he's scared of doing. So in verse 15, this is what Gideon says to God. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. I'm the least in my family. Gideon does what's natural to our hearts. He compares. He compares himself to other people. He says, I'm too young. God can't use someone like me. He could use someone else. And we do that today all too much. We avoid doing God's work with cop-outs and comparison. It's someone else's job. They'll be better at it. They're more talented. Social media only makes this a million times worse because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. But do you know what God says to Gideon's cop-outs and his fears and his insecurities? He says, I'll be with you. Go and do the work I've called you to do. But even with that, Gideon is still scared and asks in verse 17, God, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Now, I want to be kind of a bit fair to Gideon. He had a pretty big job. He was going to fight the most oppressive nation Israel had ever seen at this point. And if that was me and God told me to suddenly go out and lead an army, I'd probably be like, nope, you've got the wrong person. Sorry, God. So we want to be fair to him. But God keeps saying to him, I will be with you. I will be with you. I won't let you down. Even after Gideon keeps asking for all these signs. And so God does give him the signs that he's been asking for. And then what Gideon does, he builds an altar as a, a kind of reminder of this conversation he has with God. And Gideon gives this altar a name to remind him what God is like. Now, he doesn't call it the Lord is mighty or the Lord is powerful, although God is both those things. He calls it the Lord is peace. This is the only time God gets that specific name in the Bible. You know, I imagine him building that altar, altar, kind of plank by plank, and he's got a million thoughts in his mind about what he has to do, but he keeps saying to himself, as he's probably shaking, the Lord is peace, the Lord is peace, the Lord is peace. 
And I think that's such an amazing reminder for Gideon and for us. Because when we get caught up in the anxiety and rush of life, when we get caught up in the busyness and our schedules, don't we need to stop and remember that the Lord is peace? We know that because of Jesus' saving work on the cross, we have peace with God. We don't have a barrier in our relationship to him anymore. We don't fear the struggles of this life. We don't fear death because of what Jesus has already done for us. But we also experience the peace of God. We know that God is the source of all peace, of all comfort. He quiets and stills our souls. He will strengthen your heart with peace, even if your external circumstances don't change. That's what God's peace does. It reminds you that he is with you, so you don't have to fear. So at the times when, like Gideon, maybe you feel inadequate, you feel unqualified, you feel not good enough or scared to do something for God, remember that he is with you. Remember that his peace is better than anything in this world. So when all your friends are fighting and the drama seems endless, remember that God is with you and ask him for peace. When you are worried and anxious, remember that God is with you and ask him to give you peace. When there's conflict in your family, remember that God is with you and he will give you peace. Now, before Gideon goes out for the big battle, God gives him a job that's personal. Gideon's family hadn't been doing the right thing and they'd built all these statues to these false gods. And so God tells Gideon to go and destroy these idols. Now, that's a tough job. That's his own family. And Gideon's scared to do it, so he does it at night time. And then in the morning, his family and the whole town wake up, and they want to kill him. But that wasn't the end of Gideon's story. The big day comes at the end of chapter 6. All the bad guys are joining together to fight Israel, and the Holy Spirit strengthens Gideon, and he rallies an army. Now, this leads him to do the whole fleece thing. If you know anything about the story of Gideon, um, this is probably it. Gideon wants to know if God will really do what he says he will do. So he gets some fleece from a sheep, not on a life sheep, um, gets some fleece and he puts it outside and he says to God, um, if there's dew in the morning only on the fleece and the ground is dry, then I know that you will save Israel. And so Gideon wakes, goes to bed, wakes up. Next morning, the fleece is exactly as he asked. But then he still needs confirmation. So he says, God, don't get angry with me, but can you just do it one more time? just so I know like for sure that you're going to save Israel. And so he asked God to do the opposite. And so he goes to bed and he wakes up the next morning and it was so. Now this is a bit of a weird practice. So I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent. So I thought back to my childhood. Now I don't know if guys did this, but it was definitely a girl thing. Um, we girls used to do this thing with a flower. And if we had a bit of a crush, we would pluck the petals of the flower and go, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Any boys ever do that? Yeah, okay. So we'd do that. And then whatever flower you plucked, whatever petal you plucked, which was the last flower, that was whether that boy liked you or not. And so why do we do that? Why on earth did girls do that? Because we were looking for a sign of something that we hope is true. We were looking for a sign of something that we hope is true. And that's what Gideon is doing here with the fleece. He is looking for a sign of something that he hopes is true, that God will save Israel and be with him. And God is so patient and gentle with Gideon here. He keeps giving him these signs, even after he's told him he'll already be with him. Yet Gideon still struggles with doubt. 
He still struggles that God will do what he says he will do. He knows in his head that God is with him, but he hasn't felt that peace in his heart yet. And this makes him question God's promises. And friends, isn't it the same for us today? Isn't the Christian life a struggle of trusting that God will do what he says he will do? We, and I I include myself in the we, don't we sometimes doubt that Jesus will come back? That we do have eternity after death? That God really cares about our pain and has a plan to fix it? But this passage shows us today that God is gentle with Gideon in his doubt. God doesn't tell him off, but says, I am with you. Here's the sign. God strengthens Gideon so he can do the work that God has sent him to do. And he gives him these signs to say that you can trust me. I won't let you down. Every time God says, every time God says he will do something, he doesn't. He never lets us down. Now, does that mean you guys today should go out and test God with fleece or rip up your bedroom carpet and do the same? No. Gideon has already been told by God what he should do. Gideon knew it was also wrong because he asked God not to be angry with him. But today, I would argue that we have much bigger signs that God will do what he says he will do, right? We have Jesus' death and resurrection foretold thousands of years before it actually happened and puzzling people ever since. We have the written word of God, which is story upon story of God doing what he says he will do. We have millions of Christians around the globe coming together from tribe and nation and from long-lost places to worship the Lord. And I know that we have personally seen individuals and lives and families changed by the truth of the gospel. They're our signs today. So moving on in chapter 7, God is about to do the opposite of what he's been doing to Gideon. So far he's been strengthening him, now he's going to weaken him. So Gideon's about to go into battle and he rallies the troops. He's got 32,000, right? But God says, send away anyone who's scared. Anyone who's scared for this next battle. And do you know how many people leave? 22,000 people leave. That's how oppressive this nation was. That's how many of this um, were. And so you can imagine Gideon starting to kind of sweat a little bit and get a bit scared. And then God says, there's still too many people. And then... It's kind of this weird thing where he splits them based on how they drink water. Some of them bend down. Some of them lap like a dog. Really confusing. Um, But in the end, there's only 300 people left. And you can imagine Gideon. He's like, God, it was already going to be hard with 32,000. And now we have 300. How on earth are we going to win this battle? And Gideon's exactly, he's terrified. He's scared. He doesn't know how we're going to do it. And God says to him in chapter 7, If you are afraid to go down into battle, like that's even a question, go into the camp and afterwards you shall be strengthened by what they say. So we have strengthening again. God knows Gideon is terrified, but he gives him one more sign. Gideon goes down into the kind of enemy camp and has a listen. And he overhears a conversation. And basically the bad guys, one of them has a dream, the other interprets it. And basically they say that Gideon's going to win the battle. And so Gideon stops and he worships God and thanks him for this sign and he arises with more courage than he's ever had before. Now, because they've only got 300, they've got no chance of a normal battle plan. So what they do is they sneak up in the middle of the night, they surround the camp and they have trumpets and jars. And then on Gideon's signal, 
They smash the jars, they blow the trumpets, making a huge noise. And this confuses the army. And it says that God put the, the enemy into such a confusion that the bad guys start killing each other. It's the middle of the night, they don't know what's happening, and they end up cutting down a lot of their own people. That enables Israel to pursue them, and then by chapter 8, they win. Salvation comes through God's strength, not human strength. That's the lesson we get from this. God tells us himself in chapter 7, verse 2. He says that he cuts down the army, otherwise Israel would boast in their own strength that they were able to save themselves. God knew that if Gideon had won with a large army, they would have thought they were awesome. The army and Gideon would have said, oh, you know, we're so powerful, we're strong, we did this on our own. But instead, God reduces the size of the army. He reduces their safety net. He reduces the thing that protected them so they couldn't boast anymore. What about you? When life's going great, don't you tend to think, hey, I'm pretty awesome, I've got this all together, I've got a job, I go to school, I get the good grades, I've got the girlfriend, the boyfriend, whatever. But sometimes God weakens us. He cuts out our comforts. He cuts out our defenses so we can't boast anymore. What situations could God be using in your life to weaken you to put Christ's power on display? Is your poor health or broken heart or disappointments or discouragements or losses be the very things that God is using, that God could be using to remind you that salvation is from him, not us? That transformation is from him and not us? That restoration is from him and not us? Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness not in strength, what 2 Corinthians tells us. Now, at the end of last year, I joined a gym. Um, woohoo! <laughs> yes, totally, would recommend, so good. Um, and in my gym, there's... Guys, I know it's exciting. In my gym, there's a weight room. Now, sometimes I go in there, and on one particular day, I remember this huge guy came in. Like, he was the muscliest guy you've ever seen. His muscles on his arm were probably the size of my head, kind of stuck there. And, you know, he comes in, and he's, they put these, like, belts on. I don't even know what they're for. And so he's stacking on the weights. He's stacking on the weights. And he's got over 100 kilos on this bar. And he just lifts it and shoves it in the air like nothing ever happened. And then me, over here, because I'm weak, tries to pick up 10 kilos. And I'm like, ah, ah, this is really hard. And I can't do it. My weakness shows that that guy is powerful, right? My weakness shows that that guy is strong. And my weakness shows that he is powerful. And friends, it's the same with Jesus. My weaknesses show that Jesus is powerful. Your weaknesses show Christ's strength to the world. Christ's power is made perfect, it's demonstrated, it's achieved in our weaknesses. And he usually does that by using people who the world doesn't seem to care about to spread his message. So that when the world sees people being transformed by the gospel, they know it could only be the power of God. Take your youth leaders, for example. We're pretty ordinary We're not great marketers, we're not eloquent speakers, we're not visionary leaders. But some reason, you guys have loved the gospel. You have loved Jesus and you keep coming back. Sometimes we're even surprised that you are. We're not ashamed of what we do here. And the answer to the question at the beginning, am I enough? 
Well, the answer is actually no. You aren't enough on your own to do anything for God. You need grace and Jesus' strength, even though you don't deserve it. Our weaknesses show Christ's power. If I try to lift 100 kilos on my own, it's not going to happen. I'm going to pull my back out. But what Jesus does is he steps in behind us and helps us lift that weight. And that's God's pattern in the Bible. He makes weak people strong. He makes scared people brave. He makes lowly people powerful. And he lifts up the humble. God chose Gideon, a scared man, and turned him into a mighty warrior. What about the 12 disciples? They were 12 relatively ordinary teenagers and young adults who God used to transform the world, many of whom died for their faith. What about Jesus? He was a man of weakness too. He was familiar with pain. He was despised and rejected. He was afraid. He couldn't even carry that cross on his shoulders right at the end because his body was so broken and scarred. And yet what happened? A mighty resurrection to show his power. A weakness turned to an ultimate strength. And so in the New Testament, Paul will go on to say, Therefore, I boast about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that's so countercultural, right? Because we like to pretend we've got it all together and that we're perfect and we don't have any weaknesses, right? But how would it change our community if we boasted about our weaknesses? Stop complaining about the things you're not good at and get to work using your weaknesses to show Christ's power. Share with each other how God has carried you through a mental illness. Share with each other the verses you held on to when your parents split up. Share with each other how God brought you peace in seasons of waiting. Let's be a place where we can be broken, but broken together to show Christ's power. Finally, God has prepared for us in advance the good works that we will do for him. And we have an enemy like Gideon. We have Satan's, power, uh, Satan's kingdom of darkness and evil. But greater than Gideon, we have the ultimate deliverer and hero, Jesus Christ, who promise us, promises to be with us until the very end of the age. So we don't fear. We pick up and fight. But we don't fight in our own strength. We fight in Jesus' strength. We fight with the strength of a saviour who conquered death. We've got a battle in this life. Satan wants to stop people from knowing the grace and love and beauty of Christ. So you better get to work. Don't say you're not enough, but pick up your armor because we're on the winning team. How could you go and invite that non-Christian friend to youth? Many of you have already done this. How could you get involved in ministry? How could you go and end suffering for people in this world? How could you encourage your brother or sister or go and chase someone who's wandered? We all have a part to play. And the lesson today is that for some of us, God will strengthen and others he will weaken to shape us into the people he needs us to be to do his work. Gideon was a fearful man, but here's the last thing we have recorded about him in the New Testament. Here he's listed as a faithful man. Verse 32 in Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say, the writer of Hebrews says, I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Listen to this. Whose weakness was turned to strength, 
who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So by faith, not fear, let's battle the kingdom of darkness. Don't give God your excuses because is he not sending you? Let me pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us peace, that you strengthen us when we need it and you weaken us when we need it, Lord. Please help us to see more of who you are. Let your gospel transform our lives as we pick up our armor, as we pick up our sword and wield our weaknesses to the world, Lord. Please help us to be a place where we can share how we're going, where we can be broken, but broken together to show your power. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.